Good evening, I'm Christian Esquera, and welcome to this episode of After the Fact, where we get to see things more clearly, where we get a better sense of the truth. Let's begin by dissecting the news. Today, the Philippines hit a grim milestone. More than 3 million Filipinos have gotten sick with COVID-19. But for context, this huge number represents more than two years into the pandemic. As of today, at least 181,000 are considered active, and most of them are either mild or asymptomatic. But this is not to say that we have every reason to relax. The ongoing Omicron surge has triggered exponential increases in the number of infections, threatening to overwhelm our hospitals and medical frontliners. Be part of our discussion. Send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFact. Joining us tonight is uh, Philippine Health Undersecretary and Treatment Czar, Leopoldo Vega. Good evening, sir, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good evening, Christian, and good evening to all the, uh, the listeners out there. And Happy New Year to you, um, Dr. Vega. Happy New Year, too. <laughs> okay, let's start with the uh, call by a good number of people that perhaps it's time for the Philippine government, for the IATF, for the DOH to consider elevating the alert level status from alert level 3 to alert level 4 because of the huge numbers that we have been seeing over the past several days. What do you say to that? Um, uh, the alert level escalation, um, Christian, really depends on the matrix uh, that is being used by the Department of Health and the IATF in terms of escalation. Uh, there are three metrics uh, that they are, we are using. And one of this is the two-week growth rate, which is actually a measure of the growth of the epidemic. And the second would be the ADAR or the uh, average daily attack rate, which is really a measure of risk of infection. And apparently uh, from these two metrics, uh, the Philippines has been classified as uh, critical and uh, some are in the high risk position. So in other words, uh, uh, most of the, the growth rate in the Philippines is roughly about more than 200%, uh, and the ADAR is more than seven uh, based on the population of the local government unit, because this is based on the incidence. However, for the third uh, metrics, which is the HCUR, which is very important, uh, the HCUR for the Philippines is uh, low, it's 40%, and in the NCR, it is uh, 50% uh, for the ICU, and about 60% uh, for the utilization of the beds for COVID and uh, about 25% for the use of the ventilator. So if you take this aggregately, uh, you would have um, a low risk uh, HCUR for the NCR roughly at about uh, 59%. So um, we are here uh, uh, in a position wherein we have a high risk classification to the, with the two metrics but uh, with a low classification, low, low risk for the HCUR. So therefore, this is still uh, alert level three. So once we hit the HCUR of 71%, that's alert, uh, we're in uh, the uh, utilization of the uh, COVID uh, beds uh, here in the NCR in the Philippines, especially in the NCR, then we will go for uh, the uh, alert level four. Okay, of course, just for clarification, when you say HCUR, that means healthcare, Utilization, utilization rate. rate okay. Right. Now, are the rate things are going? How soon, or will we ever hit that seven to one percent threshold of uh, utilization? 
it's so hard to predict uh, in terms of uh, the projection, but if you take certain assumptions wherein uh, you base it uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the peak that we had for Delta and assume that uh, the Omicron will be twice uh, the peak of Delta uh, as of September, if we hit uh, 50,000, uh, most probably we'd be in the uh, uh, moderate uh, high-risk position, and that would be roughly about 70 or 70 plus percent of the HUR. And I guess uh, that would mean that uh, we will be, uh, 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 you know, escalating the alert level of the NCR to alert level four because of the high uh, utilization rate of uh, the uh, hospitals. Okay, so I guess the basic difference between this uh, Omicron surge and the previous Delta surge was the number of um, mild cases. At this yeah. point, many of the cases do not need actual hospitalization, right? Right. Uh, I think that's basically the uh, difference uh, of uh, the Delta that we saw in uh, September of last year, wherein we had a peak of about 26,000. And this also uh, dramatically increased the number of uh, utilization, especially in the intensive care units. I think it was also during those times when uh, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, looking people looking for oxygen and even, uh, you know, place for uh, in the intensive care units and the different hospitals. But uh, it, it's different right now. What we're seeing is uh, we have almost uh, close to about 98% of mild cases. And the calls that we do have in the one hospital command, uh, about 58% uh, of these calls uh, are being referred to isolation or uh, quarantine facilities because that's their, mostly they are mild and uh, asymptomatic. And uh, about 12% actually is just being referred or coordinated to the different hospitals. Okay, you mentioned the three important criteria that are being considered before you change or switch alert levels for a particular region or the entire Philippines. But what about the availability of frontline uh, health workers? Uh, that, shouldn't that be considered also? Yeah, I think that would be part of the uh, HUR, and definitely the HUR uh, really uh, means uh, just not just the infrastructure, but also the health. Uh, 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 human resource that, that we have. It's the most important resource that we have aside from the uh, uh, capacity or the infrastructure concern. And uh, definitely uh, one of the things that we saw in the last peak and the last uh, uh, also in uh, 2020 was the, uh, uh, the healthcare workers getting sick. And uh, during those times um, uh, when we didn't have any vaccination, or uh, any kind of uh, treatment for COVID-19, we really had problems in terms of uh, healthcare workers getting, uh, uh, you know, severe and uh, critical uh, uh, disease out of COVID. And uh, definitely, uh, uh, what we did uh, with that was we were able to augment uh, the different uh, regions or hospitals, uh, specifically for healthcare workers. Now we're also doing that right now. Uh, and um, this is now the most challenging part because a lot of uh, healthcare workers with, uh, especially in this uh, uh, few weeks in January, uh, uh, they got sick with, uh, some of them were mild and symptomatic. And um, out of the 91,000 healthcare workers here in Manila, I think uh, 6,000 uh, have been reported to uh, be uh, quarantined or isolated. And that's 7.2% of the healthcare workers around. 
And definitely uh, one of the uh, things that the hospital administration should do would be to um, uh, make sure that they are able to deploy uh, and uh, contract uh, some of their services from their outpatient uh, uh, special services uh, so that uh, the uh, deployment towards these uh, COVID areas will be there. So that's one yeah. of the things that uh, we're looking into, especially with the healthcare uh, workers. Okay, but so far, do we still have enough uh, medical frontliners to attend to COVID-19 patients, even if the uh, HCUR, as far as beds are concerned, perhaps are not uh, yet that high, if you talk about the 7 to 1% threshold? Do we yeah, still have enough frontliners now? Yes, uh, we do have. Uh, we still... Uh, 7.2% of uh, the healthcare workers here in Metro Manila are uh, quarantined or isolated, have been reported to be quarantined and isolated already. Okay. Now, the uh, the most recent uh, guideline coming from the IATM, hmm. which was to shorten the quarantine and isolation periods for fully vaccinated uh, medical frontliners who are asymptomatic, right. is it being implemented already? Yes, uh, it's being implemented, and that's basically uh, due to the fact on, on the uh, scientific data that we have that uh, most of the, uh, the sector of the healthcare workers are all, uh, uh, I think, 95% uh, are vaccinated, and in fact, uh, one-third of the healthcare workers or more have uh, booster doses. So in other words, uh, they are well protected uh, with uh, this uh, Omicron virus or any uh, or the COVID-19. and. Uh, and uh, since uh, they are uh, 95 or 98 percent of them already have been uh, vaccinated and they are asymptomatic, uh, it, that they can actually uh, be isolated and quarantined uh, only for five days with this Omicron because uh, uh, they, uh, there are data that would say that uh, the Omicron has a lower uh, incubation period from two to three days. And after that, the viral load will be uh, decreased. So. Definitely by the fifth day, uh, this um, uh, people who have uh, been vaccinated and isolated and uh, with Omicron presumably will actually be uh, 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 non-infectious. But that presupposes that uh, they are infected with Omicron, yes, not right. with other variants, right? Isn't right. that uh, a bit dangerous still? Uh, no, but, uh, but the thing is, uh, the, the main factor here, Christian, is that uh, uh, most of uh, this sector is uh, vaccinated and some of them already had booster doses. And uh, definitely uh, this will add uh, to their protection from getting hospitalized or even uh, uh, get into a severe or critical uh, critical thinking. I understand that the particular guideline was also uh, a pattern after the guideline coming from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, right? CDC right. Uh, in the United States. But yeah. I've also heard people asking, why not implement that? If uh, that is based on science and hard data, why not implement that to other sectors, not just to the medical frontliners? Yes, uh, I think that's the, uh, uh, we're, we're trying to streamline already the, uh, the policies here in terms of the healthcare workers, because I think uh, the technical working group here, especially on uh, the department, the Department of Health, have already uh, made mention that uh, there has to be also uh, another policy shift in terms of uh, providing uh, the same kind of uh, isolation and quarantine treatment for uh, uh, those, for the general public and, and for the rest, you know. And uh, of course, uh, this was, has to pass through the IATF and I think they will be on uh, Thursday and, uh, uh, and this will be proposed to streamline or harmonize the uh, uh, quarantine protocols you know, and update this uh, so that uh, there will be no confusion. 
So just to be clear, the IATF is also looking into the possibility of applying that particular shortened quarantine and isolation isolation periods to other sectors outside of the medical frontliners. Yes, uh, I think this will be uh, presented by the Department of Health and uh, to the IATF. And uh, of course, uh, this would streamline and harmonize the, uh, the policies for our isolation and quarantine for the healthcare workers, the general public, and of course, the returning overseas Philippines. Okay, we've heard this uh, piece of advice coming from a lot of experts, including those from the government, ah. that since uh, this particular variant, Omicron, is uh, mostly considered mild, but that is not to say that we should uh, let our guard down. Uh, even if this is considered mild compared to Delta, this can still kill, especially those who are suffering from comorbidities, right? Now, my other question is, if people are not really encouraged to go to the hospital based on uh, ordinary symptoms that they feel or exhibit, that they are just advised to presume that that is Omicron already and just stay at home and isolate, let's talk about the, the other mechanisms that are available to them or still not available to them. For instance, telemedicine. Uh, are there any efforts coming from the government to somehow make this more available, more accessible, and more affordable to, 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 to people? Yes, uh, I think uh, one of the progress uh, that uh, was catalyzed during this pandemic, uh, uh, Christian, was actually the, the usage of uh, the digital platform of telemedicine. And I guess uh, most of the government uh, institutions right now, uh, they do have uh, telemedicine platforms. Uh, and uh, definitely that's really one way of uh, accessing and uh, continuing the care uh, for their services, especially those patients at, at home or in the outpatient uh, for, and for the outpatient services. Uh, uh, the telemedicine has actually um, uh, moved a, a, a great momentum in terms of uh, its application to uh, the, the clinical front. Are they free, especially those that are provided by government uh, institutions? For instance, yeah. I understand that DOH meron po, no? Yeah, right. Uh, in fact, uh, all of the uh, retained hospitals uh, are, they should have, uh, because uh, some of their uh, outpatient deliveries has been closed or contracted. So the only way that they can, uh, patients can access them would be uh, through uh, telemedicine, uh, either to Zoom or FaceTime uh, face, face or or a platform for telemedicine. So, and it's for free, uh, Christian. Or tawagan po, no? Simple yeah, tawagan, phone calls yeah. or texting. Yeah. With, yeah. But, but uh, do you still have enough people to actually man those posts? Uh, because I understand they're also dealing with other cases, hindi lang COVID, di ba? Even non-COVID cases. So, yeah. they have yeah. a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, but, but uh, you see, in a, in a bigger institution, like, uh, say, in a level three hospital, you have several departments there. And the main uh, department that's handling uh, telemedicine would be family medicine and, of course, general medicine. And they do have a number of residents and consultants uh, who can actually be uh, on duty uh, every time 24-7. And this is what we're also doing in the One Hospital Command right now, uh, trying to give uh, telemedicine as a, you know, a, a medical direction for patients uh, who would need uh, 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 certain, uh, who would need uh, uh, our, our, you know, our, who would need uh, some things, no, coming from uh, their clinical uh, or what they're suffering from. So, so basically, many of the calls uh, that are made before the one hospital command center, many of them are being converted into some sort of a telemedicine consultation. 
Yes, uh, uh, some of them um, would be in an outright uh, uh, medical direction through the phone. But uh, if the patient, uh, if you want to see the patient and the patient uh, would need a, a certain kind of guidance uh, because of, uh, you know, it, it has to be seen, then uh, we can do a telemedicine uh, to that effect in the one hospital. And others, uh, when you talk about critical or severe cases, they are referred to hospitals, right? Yeah, they're directly uh, referred to the different uh, tertiary or level three hospitals. Okay. Again, over the past few days, we've also been uh, hearing people seeking help from the government, saying that perhaps if uh, even if this is mild, uh, can the government provide some healthcare kits or packs to those needing them, especially after uh, consulting with the government doctors through telemedicine? Uh, yes. are, are there efforts toward this direction coming from yeah. the IETF? Yes, uh, I think that's primarily the, the focus right now of the Department of Health. We are arranging uh, some um, packs uh, consisting of uh, uh, alcohol, mask, uh, biogesic or paracetamol, and vitamin C and uh, vitamin uh, zinc uh, with, uh, with zinc. And uh, we are giving these packs uh, to the uh, regional offices. In fact, uh, for today, we have already prepared something like 2,500 packs, and this would be distributed to the different um, uh, Region 3 and Region 4A in the NCR. And by two days after, we will have something like 2,000 packs of uh, this kind, um, wherein this can be given for free to all those who would need um, uh, support, especially if you're isolated in the uh, treatment facility or at home. Okay, so paano po yung distribution ito? Because uh, can someone with symptoms without being tested just walk in a government hospital um, under the DOH and uh, ask for a kit? Uh, if you're in the hospital and you're in the government, uh, I think uh, the, uh, the hospital will take care of that. They would have the necessary kits because they have a, they have a pharmacy to, uh, to, you know, to, uh, to get it from. Uh, but the kits that we're preparing the central office, uh, we will have to distribute this in the regional um, uh, offices. And the regional offices will distribute this towards the local government units. Okay, pero paano po yung determination? Because uh, again, not everyone are getting tested, but many are exhibiting symptoms, right? However yes. mild, yes. of possible Omicron infection. So uh, yeah. how would you pick? Uh, who would receive those kits or packs? Yeah, I think that would be in the discretion of uh, the uh, regional health directors and coming from the local government units and isolation facilities uh, who will coordinate with them in terms of the number of people that would need uh, this kind of uh, packs uh, uh, specifically for with medicines and uh, assorted uh, vitamins. Okay, now speaking of isolation centers, uh, Dr. Vega, um, since this is since many of the uh, those infected with the COVID nineteen today are considered mild, right, and asymptomatic, and they're advised to to conduct home quarantine, but I suppose many of those infected do not necessarily have sufficient facilities to come up with a credible quarantine. So, pwede yung buong household talaga mahahawa paren. So, which which brings us to the the necessity even before the availability of quarantine facilities. So far, do local governments, especially in Metro Manila, NCR, uh, NCR uh, Regions 4A and 3, do they have sufficient isolation centers to accommodate those who would not be able to do that at home? Um, yeah, you know, Christian, we, uh, I think the last week of the first week of December, we, were, we noted that the uh, occupancy of the treatment facilities uh, the, or the TTMFs 
uh, of run by the local government units and even uh, some of this uh, were run by uh, the Department of uh, Health and Opland Kalinga only had about uh, 15 uh, 10 to 12 10 to 15 percent uh, occupancy in the first week of uh, December and during those times uh, and the last week of December there was a tremendous increase in the number of uh, patients uh, that needed uh, uh, quarantine and isolation in these facilities and uh, at present right now it's about 70 percent uh what the, the problem that really cropped up at, at, uh, at the end of the year was that uh, several of these contracts actually had to be renewed and uh, we we need to re we also had to reactivate and uh, make sure that uh, the uh, ttmfs are again uh, 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 better in a position to uh, serve uh, these uh, patients who would need the isolation and third, uh, we, had, we need to contract uh, newer uh, isolation facilities, especially here in the NCR. I think it was only uh, uh, last week that uh, we were able to contract a number of hotels for isolation and quarantine so that we will be able to increase the number of isolation beds. Um, uh, last December, the number of uh, isolation beds that we have was only about close to in NCR, about uh, 77,000 beds. And uh, we are now moving towards 100,000, making sure that uh, we will be able to provide uh, the necessary beds and quarantine uh, and isolation facilities. So we actually uh, contracted uh, to Opland Kalinga through um, Office of the Civilian Defense to MMDA and to the Department of Health uh, to contract out a lot of these hotels for uh, isolation facilities. But uh, who usually pays for that? That's isolation. Let's say. Uh, I started exhibiting uh, mild symptoms and I did not do isolation or quarantine at home. And I asked my local government or even the DOH if I could do this elsewhere, let's say a hotel. Uh, who then pays for that? Uh, actually, it's being paid for uh, whoever, who, what agency contract, contract this, con contracts this uh, hotel. All right? uh, if, if this is a hotel contracted by the Department of Health, it's going to be uh, paid for by the Department of Health. And if it is uh, this isolation facility contracted or hotels contracted by OCD or the Office of the Civilian Defense, then the, the, it will be paid for by uh, the OCD. So, so uh, are you saying this is supposed to be free? Yeah, it's free. It's for free for anyone for isolation. Yeah. If you're if you are actually uh, 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 if you're actually uh, uh, looking for an isolation facility and you've hooked up with the local government unit. And then uh, you have been assigned and a facility uh, which is uh, contracted by government that's going to be free. Okay, let's also talk about testing. Again, we're, we're hearing again this uh, demand for mass testing. Although again, for context, we've been saying this over and over again. We talk about mass testing. We're not saying that each and every Filipino should be tested. But I think the call is for increased testing. But on the other hand, given the positivity rate now, the, 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 the rate of transmission, of the Omicron variant. Uh, what, what is the policy direction coming from the DOH? Uh, should everyone who start exhibiting symptoms of possible COVID, uh, in particular Omicron infection, should they, uh, should they get tested, either antigen or RT-PCR? Well, the policy of uh, the Department of Health in terms of testing even before uh, fission was that it should be a targeted testing. In other words, uh, the people who get tested uh, must be uh, symptomatic must be exposed and have an exposure to COVID-19 and um, um, must have, must be uh, also uh, 
having uh, um, uh, not just an exposure, but uh, but rather uh, 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 an account that uh, he was uh, near uh, a person with COVID. So in other words, uh, it should be targeted testing. But uh, right now, since the positivity rate is uh, roughly about 40%, uh, we, we do agree that uh, if you are symptomatic and uh, uh, and um, uh, you feel that uh, you have a flu coming 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 in, so the best way really is to isolate yourself. And if you are able to get tested, that would be fine. But uh, it would be best if you are a senior or uh, with a person with comorbidity that you you, you have to be tested, especially with the PCR PCR uh, machine. However, if um, you don't have a PCR machine, then definitely an antigen test will do. Uh, provided that uh, you use it for uh, uh, symptomatic patients and definitely if you're also exposed to uh, COVID-19. Okay. Don't you think it's time to rethink that, uh, that guideline coming from the Department of Health? In particular, this criterion of uh, if you got exposed to um, a confirmed or suspected COVID case. Kasi hindi natin alam kung saan nanggagaling. Eh. Uh-huh. So, Pwede wala ka exposure sa any known COVID case, pero bigla ka nagkasakit, di ba? Don't you think that that, that should be revisited po? Yeah, it, uh, what, what we're saying is that uh, if you do have symptoms and you were exposed, then definitely you should have a PCR uh, test. Uh, and, and definitely, uh, uh, I think uh, um, uh, that would be more accurate uh, once the results are in. But if you say that uh, you'd be tested if you're even if you're asymptomatic and you don't have any uh, uh, exposure to COVID-19, then uh, it is, uh, it's best that uh, uh, you, you do not get uh, uh, this test at once because uh, of uh, the, uh, the bigger resources that we have right now for testing. Yeah, that could lead to, that actually um, exacerbates a problem in terms of the uh, turnaround rate, right? right. So, it's yung paglabas ng resulta. Right. Although we can understand those who are uh, fearful of uh, possible infection the moment they exhibit certain symptoms. But my next question, uh, uh, Dr. Vega, is there still any way to for the government to lower the cost of uh, testing? For instance, antigen and RT-PCR. Marami po For instance, one of our viewers, Karina, nagsabi, uh, the entire household got anti- antigen tested and then it cost them 900 pesos each. And then wala raw senior discount. And then nung bumalik sila, ang single sa kala, 1,500 each. I mean, is there any way to somehow mm, minimize the cost of antigen testing and RT-PCR? Yeah, uh, right. Uh, in fact, uh, the, um, the government right now and the IATF is going to revisit the pricing for testing uh, specifically for PCR and uh, antigen tests. Uh, because there's been a clamor by the general public that uh, you know uh, it's uh, quite expensive. And um, uh, to tell you, uh, uh, Christian, uh, um, the government has been procuring a lot of these tests and giving out to uh, the hospitals and even the testing centers. And uh, we do agree that um, if it is uh, uh, a test uh, being given by the national government, uh, I think uh, they should be free and uh, it should be subsidized only by PILAC. So. Definitely a lot of these um, government institutions, like uh, uh, even the testing centers are run by government. Uh, their, their tests are being procured by the national government. So therefore they do not buy this. And therefore if they do make uh, tests for these individuals, 
uh, they should be free uh, as long as they are subsidized uh, by PDL. Okay, finally, under Secretary Vega, hmm. another important question. Is there a shortage now of paracetamol and other drugs that uh, are commonly used to treat or manage um, Omicron cases or the ordinary flu? For example, yung paracetamol at saka yung mga gamot sa, sa ubo. Is there a shortage really? No, there, there's no shortage actually, uh, Christian. Uh, these uh, type of drugs are locally uh, manufactured here in the Philippines. The shortage is in the, uh, in the pharmacy uh, section wherein... Uh, a lot of these people would like to hoard uh, uh, a number of uh, pills no, or paracetamol uh, to that effect. So uh, there's uh, an artificial shortage there. But uh, the, uh, once uh, the, uh, so the pharmacy would uh, order the necessary supplies uh, from the suppliers because uh, that's being locally produced, that can be replenished. So, so that is the reason why the Department of Health and the Department of Trade and Industry came up with this new policy na meron ng purchase cap for yeah, every right. judge. Kasi ang, di ba pwede siyang contradictory po? No? Pag sinasabing walang, walang shortage, pero bakit pa magkakaroon ng purchase cap? Kasi nauubusan sa inventory level ng pharmacy sa pharmacy. Eh. Okay. And uh, you know, the pharmacies can, the pharmacy can have a certain uh, level of inventory uh, before they can order. But uh, if at one time, uh, people would like to hoard, and uh, buy as many as they can, uh, that, would, that would mean that uh, they have to reorder again. So that, that would be an artificial shortage. So that piece of advice is also important, just uh, purchase what you need. Yeah, purchase what you need. Uh, that, that's, uh, there's the, that, those medicines are being manufactured. Okay. Health Undersecretary Leopoldo Vega, thank you very much, sir, for joining us tonight on the program. Thank you, Christian. Uh, thank you, uh, and to all the listeners out there. Maraming salamat po. For Stay safe, sir. Stay safe. Right, thank you. We're going to take a quick break after the fact will be right back.